0: Happy Valentine's Day! Isn't it fun when an episode falls on a holiday? I'm Lizzie, your host of Mimosa Talk, and honestly, what better day to sit around, drink mimosas, and talk about all things television than on a Friday that celebrates love? Since we're all feeling the romance today, I think we should start with Baby Monitor, a segment that talks about celebrity babies and baby announcements. This week was pretty exciting with pregnancy announcements, but first, cheers! Ken Badgley and his wife, Domino Clerk are expecting their first child together. It's definitely life-imitating art because Badgley's character, Joe, on you, is also going to be a dad. That situation is slightly less exciting given Joe and Love's murderous tendencies. But anyways, uh, Domino gave fans a peek at her baby belly and shared a rather emotional story about their previous two miscarriages. Her caption read, on the road again. Pregnancy after loss is a whole other thing. After two miscarriages in a row, we were ready to call it. I stopped trusting my body and started to accept the fact that I was done. As a birth attendant, I've seen and heard it all. It takes everything I, I've got to detach lovingly from the losses I've been present for and be in my own experience. This is going to be the first child for Penn and the second for Domino, who was a mom to 10-year-old Cassius from a previous relationship uh domino who is now a doula explained that she's much more knowledgeable about the pregnancy process than she was when she found out she was pregnant at the age of 25 congrats to the couple and a baby is coming for joe jonas and sophie turner just jared broke the news Um, earlier this week which honestly upset me a little bit because these sources that spoke out about the pregnancy took away this incredible moment from Joe and Sophie. They were probably planning to keep this pregnancy between them and their loved ones until they were ready to announce it to the world and in a special way in whatever way that they wanted to announce it in and yes they could still do that but the world already knows. So I just wish these sources would let people break their own exciting news but This is the world we live in, so here we are, a Jonas baby from a Jonas brother and Sansa Stark, Queen of the North. Congrats to both of them. All right, now, the biggest news to hit the interwebs today is that Hopper is alive. Stranger Things posted their first promo for the upcoming fourth season and revealed that the fan favorite character, who was assumed dead at the end of the third season, is alive and he's bald. He's also in Russia, which is not great for him. Uh, The teaser came with the caption from Russia with love and revealed that somehow, some way Hopper was spared at the end of season three and has been working on the railroads in the dead of winter uh, for the Soviets as a prisoner. Now, the Russians played a pretty vital role role in the third season as they were plotting to reopen the upside down in the basement of Starcourt Mall. While our good Hawkins friends shut that down completely, uh, Hopper was believed to be a casualty in the fight. However, there was a bit of an indication that he may be alive as a scene popped up in the credits revealing that not only did the Russians seem to have a Demogorgon in their possession, but they were also holding, quote unquote, the American captive. There was plenty of possibilities and theories for who the American could be, and it could still be someone other than Hopper. But honestly, the only thing that matters is that our boy is alive. I do have to say it's very strange um, for Netflix and Stranger Things to announce uh, this as a teaser. I mean, why would they want to keep Hopper's uh, destiny as a surprise? And if this is their teaser, what else do they have in store for us this season? There is no known release date yet for uh, Stranger Things, but at least we know it's going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, vampire Diaries alum Kayla Owell is returning to television as a vampire again. Uh, Kayla who played Vicki Donovan on the first season of the CW series, and she's going from Mystic Falls to Gotham City as she's set to guest star on Batwoman as villain Nocturna. Uh, She will prey on Gotham's finest to to sustain her need for human blood caused by a rare disease. So that episode is going to premiere next Sunday, uh, February 23rd. Now, speaking of the Vampire Diaries and DC Comics, uh, Chris Wood, who brilliantly fell into the role of Kai Parker again on Legacies these past two weeks, has landed a new role in ABC's pilot 30-something else. He's being joined by his Batwoman co-star, Odette Annabelle. Uh, The sequel to the 80s series will follow the grown-up children of the original cast. Wood will play Leo, the adult son of Michael and Hope, and Annabelle will play his sister, Janie. Um, Since the show is starting production in May, I would say we can expect to see it on the roster uh, sometime next year for the 2021 TV season. Uh, Superstore fans... It's your lucky week because the series was renewed for a sixth season. The season will start off with the 100th episode, which is a celebration in in and of its own. Uh, The renewal isn't surprising as it remains one of the top shows for NBC. It joins the already renewed Brooklyn 99, uh, which got the green light in November. And now NBC needs to hang on to all the comedies they can since it's already lost uh, its hit The Good Place and is airing the final season of Will and Grace. Uh, nostalgia continues to take the TV world by storm. After the Sabrina the Teenage Witch reunion uh, that happened this week, I wanted to say that we needed a Sabrina reboot, but then I realized we already have one. And don't get me wrong, I'm obsessed with uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina on Netflix, but the show doesn't share too much in common with the original uh sabrina the teenage witch aside from keeping the character names the netflix version of the series is much darker and deals with the occult and satan and i personally wouldn't be opposed to a spin-off of the original sabrina the teenage witch possibly starring uh melissa joan hart as sabrina as she helps her kids navigate being witches and warlocks in the mortal realm like, who wouldn't want to see Sabrina and Harvey's children um, grown up? The sequel has practically written itself. I kind of miss the comedic, like light-hearted nature of the show, of any show that has Witches Magic. All of them are so dark now, but Sabrina had just like this cool, fun vibe about it. But anyways, the reunion was hosted by Melissa Joan Hart and brought together what seems like the whole cast and crew from the high school part of the series and the college part. So Hart shared all of the photos on her Instagram, and if you're looking to walk down memory lane and see photos photos of Valerie and Libby actually getting along, you have to check it out. In other nostalgia news, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is getting a reboot, and Rick Moranis is set to return. Moranis closed a deal to return for the movie sequel, but it surprisingly will be a theatrical release and not a Disney Plus one. The original director, Joe Johnson, is set to be returning as well, and Josh Gad will also star, and the movie is set to star around Gad's character, who is the son of Moranis' Wayne Shalinsky, and an aspiring scientist who also shrinks the kids. Whoops. It's a good thing this happened before, you know, so we actually know there's a way out of it. And finally, the Mighty Ducks sequel is in the works. Uh, The Mighty Ducks was a Disney classic in the 90s, and Disney Plus this time is now banking on that millennial nostalgia as it gears up for a sequel. Uh, Sources say it will be 10 episodes, which will premiere later this year. Gilmore Girls' Lauren Graham is set to star as Minnesota Hockey Mom, who helps her son Evan build his own team of quote-unquote ragtag misfits to challenge the cutthroat world of competitive youth sports. Um, Emilio Estevez is also going to be returning for this um, after 25 years to reprise the iconic character, Coach Bombay. So uh, Estevez and Graham are also set to executive produce the series. All right, let's move into our Bachelor segment. Um, before I bring Bachelor expert Aaron to take it away, I've posted some of my favorite Bachelor theories on CraveUTV.com, and I thought I'd go through them briefly just because they're so fun. Uh, My favorite so far is the theory that Peter doesn't end up with any of the contestants, but rather Bachelor producer Julie LaPlaca. There's some solid evidence supporting this theory, including a few pictures on Instagram and the fact that they spent New Year's Eve together with their parents Um, It's just a really fun theory. And like, wouldn't it just be so dramatic if he ended up with a producer? Uh, Another theory narrows it down to Hannah Ann um, based on her Venmo account. Um, So fans logged in and checked all of the contestants Venmo accounts and found that only Hannah Ann's was still private, um, which makes people think that she is the final girl. Uh, A third one believes that Peter's mother Urging him to bring her home in the teasers means that it's either going to be Madison, who met his family on the first one on one date this season, or Hannah B's return because Hannah B met his parents um, previously on Bachelorette. However, that might not hold up because word is this final two girls are going to meet the parents before the finale. So technically, it could be any one of them, right? And the pregnancy theory. is probably my favorite because it banks on the fact that that bombshell that knocks Peter off of his feet and gives him that look of like, I'm going to throw up is the one um, is that one of the girls is knocked up. Now, Peter debunked this or tried to debunk it um, when it was brought up in an interview by laughing and saying how ridiculous it was, but he also never said it wasn't true. So you can read all the theories in full at crave And now Erin is going to take it away with her weekly Bachelor recap.
1: Hey, what's up? It's your Bachelor expert, Erin, here to break down Monday night's episode. Let me just start off with we are in the final six, which means next week is the hometown dates, and that will be the final four. Who will Peter choose? Well, I'm about to tell you because it was pretty surprising. So first off, the girls are in Peru. Peter goes to their hotel room and says, hey, I just want to let you know that we need to take this week very seriously. I am ready for marriage. I need you all to be honest with me. And the girls are like, oh my God, Peter, yeah, we're so in love with you. Woo! Madison gets the first one-on-one date. They go to a fishing village in Peru. And Peter straight up says that he is falling in love with her. That is the first girl that he has ever said that to. And Madison tells him that he, she sees a future with him. But the thing she wants the most is to have a very spiritual leader in her family. Family, and she asks Peter if he's ready to take on that role and he said that he definitely is so Madison gets a rose that's the first hometown then Natasha oh, sweet little Natasha finally gets her first one-on-one date it has been weeks and she has not had a lone time with Peter they walk the streets of Peru have a pretty fun time but then at the end of the night Peter goes hey I'm so sorry but I really only see a friendship with you I don't think we're there yet I have stronger relationships with other people he sends her home she does not get a rose which brings us to the third one-on-one with Kelsey you know how I feel about Kelsey I think She cries way too much. And I do not want to see her and Peter at the end of this. I I, I just really, really don't. They have a date. They go on ATVs, which was really cool. They start making out on a mountain, you know, just typical bachelor stuff. Then at their dinner, he tells her that he's ready to have a relationship with her. And he is so excited to meet her parents in Iowa there you go. Rose number two is for Kelsey. Now we have two more left for hometowns. There's three girls left, though, and only two roses. So they have to have a three-on-one date, which is always super awkward. So the girls that we have left are Hannah Ann, Kelly, and Victoria F. This one-on-one date was the most awkward experience that I've ever had to sit through and watch on national television. Kelly, she's from Chicago, kind of one of my front runners. I really like her, but she came into this date way too confident, like way too confident. She was saying that, hey, just give me a rose, chop chop. I know I'm going to be here. I know he's going to come back to Chicago with me. And she even said, this is my favorite quote of all time, if you're weak, you're not going to last. And she was talking about Victoria F., who cries all the time as well. So Kelly is basically just thinking that, of course, hometowns are in the bag for her. Well... I I don't know. Peter did not think the same thing. So Victoria F. then has a one on one with Peter. They start hanging out. She's really moody and mean towards him. But at the end of the day, Peter says, you know what, even though it's hard, even though it's tough, I want this with you. I want to go to your hometown with you. I did not see that coming. I thought Victoria F. was for sure going to be gone. I think she's a crybaby. I think she's not good enough for him. But he chose her. So boom, there you go. Third rose out the door. We're down to two. Hannah, Ann and Kelly. Again, Kelly's super, super confident. Well, the confidence did not come in handy for her because Hannah Ann ends up getting the last rose, meaning Kelly, unfortunately, has to go home. I was a little upset with it, but I do think that she's a little too mature for Peter. I think she's an attorney, she's got her life together, and the other girls are basically only in it for the Instagram game, which is what Peter apparently does want. Next week, guys, we're going to hometowns. I'm super excited about it. There's supposed to be a lot of drama, a lot of secrets come out, and I just cannot wait to see what happens when Peter meets everyone's family.
0: We cannot wait for Hometowns on Monday either. So who do you guys think uh, Peter's final two are going to be? Let us know on social media at TV and Mimosa Talk. All right. Now, this week's television was kind of wild, so I'm ringing the spoiler alarm, which means that if you don't want me to spoil any of what happened on TV last week, uh, stop listening. (laughs) And if you do, let's start with Riverdale because... We finally caught up with those flash forward scenes that show Jughead's death at the hands of Betty and her rock. Um, And at first glance, it really does seem like Jughead's a goner. But if you look closer, Riverdale has been leaving a trail of breadcrumbs that serve as clues that we're not what we're seeing isn't really what's happening. It all started with Jughead getting accused of plagiarism as a way for the Quill and Skull Society to kick him out out of Stonewall prep forever. Um, And when he tried to fight these allegations, uh, Brett threatened to release the tape he recorded of Jughead and Betty having sex because Brett is a complete monster. So Jughead went down without a fight. But that's not essentially true because he informed Betty he had a plan that would take everybody down. But first he had to find that tape and the leverage that they had over them. So what happens next is kind of crucial. Uh, Betty tells Jughead she trusts him, and this moment kind of felt like it served more as a goodbye than anything else. Jughead grabbed the bunny mask once worn by Brett, and he lured him into the woods. They, the camera and the writers and Jughead made it a point to show the audience that he was putting on his serpent gear, his signature hat, and showed him going into the woods. But I think that sometime between this moment and when we see him dead, Jughead swapped places with someone else as part of his actual plan. Now, Jughead is way too intelligent for a plan to only consist of taking Brett into the woods and stabbing him. Like, Jughead would never do that. So, I mean, it was either a poorly constructed plan or there's a lot more to it that we're just not seeing, Anyways, Betty followed Donna into the woods, which is exactly what Donna wanted to happen. And then Donna told her she visited Evelyn ever because this girl just can't leave and got the magic word that makes Betty tick and turn on her loved ones. And no, it was not tangerine three times, but a different word that Betty wasn't aware of. From there, we don't know what happened. We don't know if Donna said this mystery word. We don't know if it triggered Betty. Uh, We don't know how Betty and Jughead found each other. We don't know what transpired between Brett and Jughead. Like, we don't know any of these things. All we know is the next scene finds Archie checking Jughead's pulse and declaring him dead while Betty stands above him looking worried and clutching this bloody rock. Now, like I said, it sure looks like Jughead is dead. But one dead giveaway that he isn't is that he's literally narrating his own death. So this could be still part of his perfect story, or his perfect murder story, or maybe that story gave him the inspiration to fake the perfect murder as part of his plan. It's unclear who is in on it and who isn't, but there's just too many loopholes and too much time missing for us to believe that this wildly popular character on this wildly popular TV show is really dead. Maybe Jughead will just be lucky like Hopper. This is us delivered the final part in the big three trilogy, uh, titled it's been a hell of a week. And honestly, it's been a hell. It's been a hell of a three weeks because the, that one week was spread out between three different characters. Um, each person's sibling went through their own nightmares, um, from Randall dealing with a robber who threatened his family to Kevin facing his past and accepting that he'd lost Sophie forever to Kate's marital wolves paralleled with her toxic relationship with Mark back in the day. Let me just say Mark's a piece of, you know what, for all the emotional abuse he caused her. But as much as I want to fault him, I can't because it's true that hurt people hurt people. Mark had anger issues and control issues, but Kate didn't realize how bad this relationship was for her until it was too late. Mark was her first love. The only guy who ever looked at her that way Um, and the only one who filled the void when her father died. And honestly, those are some big shoes to fill because Jack was phenomenal. Um, Kate also didn't want to give her family the satisfaction of getting to say that they were right about Mark, but they were. And thankfully her family knew that something was wrong. Rebecca knew that something was off when Kate called her. Um, and just like in the past, Rebecca was there for Kate Um, in the future, too. In the past, Rebecca, she rallied the troops to go to the cabin and save Kate. And in the present, she was there as Kate struggled in her marriage um, and having a blind child. Kate, once again, didn't want to tell her mother about Toby, but things between them weren't good as Toby was struggling to accept his son's condition. It was painful to watch, and we saw that Mark's abuse influenced Kate's relationship. It's why she felt guilty, why she was scared to leave, why she was scared he'd leave, um, and she placed blame on herself. Rebecca was there to remind her that she's stronger than she gives herself credit and inspired Kate to give Toby the ultimatum, which eventually pushed him to, you know, face his fears too. I think this couple will be fine, and I just, I feel like it's refreshing to see that Kate's issues don't always stem from her weight. Rebecca also came clean about her memory loss and the fact that the moments between her and Kate were so special and emotional leads me to believe that her memory will deteriorate at a rapid pace. Um, Chicago PD barely addressed Burgess's miscarriage. Uh, she dealt with it off screen, mostly while Ruzak jumped, out, jumped back into action. But the story centered around Rojas this week. Um, One of the newer additions to the team who we don't really know much about. She's mostly a background filler. So it was nice to see her get some screen time. Um, I don't feel like this episode really gave us a lot about her. But the case was unique and that the victim had paranoid schizophrenia and as he helped them, it was hard to distinguish what was reality and what was a figment of his imagination. Shows like PD rarely touch upon mental health, but acknowledging that it does play a role on many occasions and that Sammy's reality was just as valid as theirs was, it was refreshing. Uh, Chicago Med, on the other hand, found Will making a stupid decision again. Surprise, surprise. Um, I'm not opposed to him eventually having a relationship with Hannah, but at this time, where it stands, it's probably not smart to get involved with an addict who has absolutely no desire to get better. Hannah's personality was so up and down it was hard to understand what she was like when she wasn't high or going through withdrawal. Will's decision to step away from the clinic and help Hannah get clean was noble. Um, I mean, this is what he signed up for, what he wanted to do. But then he began flirting with her, acknowledging her advances, and accepted her invitation to go back home with him. i had to question his own sanity here. Like, Will, are you trying to ruin your own life? Blink once if you are. I don't know if Hannah was actually interested, if she was just lonely, or was she trying to kill him because he's threatening to out her and destroy his career her career? I don't I really don't know. And I have so many questions about this, but overall I don't think it's gonna go well for Will. Crockett has proven to be the most logical doctor on the team. He never lets his emotions, his personal preferences, or anything else cloud his judgment. He believes the next of kin should have the right to decide about a patient's medical decisions. And in this case, it's um, it's the smarter choice. Uh, Nat took away an abuse victim's rights and the consequences were that the victim committed murder. and it was incredibly sad and unjustified, and it was an ending that, you know, didn't have to happen. Um, April is going through internal turmoil over her repressed feelings for Crockett. She likes him, but she's trying to pretend that having a baby and getting married with Ethan is going to fix that. And it's not, we know it's not. And at at this point it's dragged on for like three weeks now, and she needs to come clean sooner rather than later, because as I keep saying, it's only going to get worse. Dr. Curry wasn't one of my favorites in the beginning, but I love how she's finding her voice and using it to make the right calls. She's helped save a patient who was wrongly diagnosed and, and put in like a vegetative state. And if it hadn't been for her and for her calling that out and standing up and not just thinking about money and how much it's going to make the hospital, then that kid would have never gotten the proper care and the future that was ahead of him. Uh, Katie Keene aired its second episode and... I'm just baffled at the fact that this show exists in the same universe as Riverdale. The series is so much more mature, even down to Katie and her friends understanding the weight of their decisions and how they impact their lives and their future. For most of the episode, Katie grappled with the decision of whether to accept KO's proposal, but it was evident that she already knew the answer and she didn't want to to confront the reality. When asked if she loved him and wanted to get married to him, Katie said they'd been together for so long that it just, it was what it was. That tells you everything you need to know about where, where she is in, in her headspace. While KO and Katie seem like a good couple, it's hard for the audience to care all that much because again, it's only the second episode and we don't really know them all that well. From what we've seen, KO is her comfort and her safety blanket who has been there for her for as for as long as she can remember and who was there when her mother died and his family filled that void. So it's it's understandable that she doesn't want to lose him or hurt him. But she also doesn't want to marry him either and that's valid. Marriage is a lifelong commitment and Katie is living it up in New York. She's following her dreams, she's discovering herself and none of that makes her a bad person. It's actually incredibly she's cr- incredibly enlightened that she knew that she had to choose herself. For KO, I think it's also a safety blanket um, to be with Katie. He doesn't seem to have much going on for himself, and anytime he does want to do something, um, if Katie isn't interested and doesn't want to, then he just lets it go. They both need to just take a break and find each other instead of moving in together, because we know that's not going to end well. Um, Jorge also struggled with a choice that affected his future, josie was already getting the least amount of screen time just like on a video. and pepper is the tv version of fake heiress anna delvey the moment i saw pepper leading this luxurious lifestyle while racking up 60k in hotel debt it dawned on me that her character is inspired by a true story that seems completely made up but i it's a true story so pepper is lying to everyone about who she is and if it ends at all like the Delvey story, she's going to end up in prison for a long time. Manifest left me echoing mixed sentiments. What the hell is happening? I stick by my theory that they are, they are all supposed to save the passengers from a future crash, which is what they were seeing in their calling at the end of the episode. I think Adrian may be behind it somehow, as he was also there and told Ollie about another miracle happening soon, and he seemed pretty convinced in that miracle. Maybe he's trying to replicate the flight to prove to the people that they are truly miracles. I'm not really sure. And I seem to be saying I don't know a lot when it comes to the series, which is a little bit frustrating. Uh, They keep introducing new storylines on top of already existing storylines, and it's become incredibly messy and convoluted. Olive and TJ made moves in the romance department and also found out that the Peacock card may be a clue that confirms that this has happened before. Mick and Zeke dealt with his fake wife. Courtney, who crashed with them and then asked Zeke to handle her debt to some drug kingpin, um, which almost caused Zeke to relapse. She also wanted Mick to doubt Zeke's sobriety by planning some pills, and it's unclear why she's so hellbent on destroying her ex. Maybe she's an Xer. Speaking of Xers, I still think Jared is playing a part so that he can get close to them, infiltrate their group, and then bring them down for Mick. And Grace made some sense by suggesting that they tell the public the baby belongs to Danny and not Ben. And I know it's a painful ask, but I think about the burden that they're placing on this child um, if they do allow people to believe that it's a miracle baby, not to mention that they're making this baby a target. So I think it might be a small price to pay for the child's life. Legacies was a bit of a letdown this week after its amped up former episode that brought back Kai. Um, You would think that it'd be really, really... Uh, Interesting to see him finally escape the prison world and enter the real world. But Kai, who always has a plan, didn't seem to have much of a plan when he got to Earth. Um, There was a lot of untapped potential with him and the Necromancer. And in general, with him just causing havoc. He was just bopping around in a suit hoping for the best, which was silly and not a good use of his character's potential. Uh, Dark Josie helped them all escape the prison world and Sebastian stayed behind to serve as the anchor. It was his redemption arc, though it's unclear what brought upon this change of heart for him. He doesn't seem like someone who deserved a redemption arc in the first place, but whatever, here we are. Uh, once Josie came back to Mystic Falls, she no longer carried that darkness within her, and um, Or so she thought. But I'm really glad that they aren't abandoning the storyline after just one episode. There was too much buildup for them to just be like, yeah, Dark Josie's over. Um, And I think Dark Josie is the grit and the darkness that this series really needs. I'm not opposed to the weekly monsters because they've been fun. But they've also gotten a little childish. And they don't raise the stakes nearly as high as they should for a show that's stemming from The Vampire Diaries, and The Originals Family. I mean, those shows, I mean, no one was ever safe. But here, nobody ever dies. Like, Legacy is just, it's playing it safe, and it needs to kind of turn up the dial a little bit. Uh, Dark Josie will bring out the danger, um, but also push a good character out of her shell. It's always fun to watch the good girls go bad, and this kind of reminds me of when Elena turned off her humanity. Um, As for Landon, I was fine with the Phoenix storyline, but seeing him fly was just a little weird and it was odd and I, I didn't like it, but man, for the first time, you guys, he saved himself instead of needing to be saved. And that felt nice. Hope made a choice and her choice was not Landon. And it was kind of like the trolley problem where you can either choose to save one person or save several people. And I think Hope made the right choice. And it pushed Landon into a place where he had to fend for himself and be his own hero. So I think that if the series continues on that trajectory, it won't make Landon such a buzzkill. Also, Rick finally got his revenge on Kai for killing his wife um, and Lizzie and Josie's mother. But I'm still kind of incredibly saddened by it because, I mean, it was Kai. Kai. It was a long time coming, sure, and it was well-deserved, but I'm just going to miss Kai so much. Any chance there's a way to come back from getting beheaded? No, no. I mean, he was just such a fun, lively villain who enjoyed his own craziness, and, I mean, he'll be missed. That's all all there really is to say about that, Kai Parker. So what do we have to look forward to this week? Well, God Friended Me Returns on Sunday after almost a month-long hiatus. And to that I say, finally! I hate when shows get interrupted for weeks on end while I'm invested. So it's gonna be incredibly exciting um, to have Miles and the gang back. We have an exclusive sneak peek that was given to TV Fanatic. Um, So you can go watch it over there or on Cravy TV. And it is about Allie finally telling Arthur and Trish about her cancer diagnosis. So do you think that they're going to be fully supportive? Are they going to be worried and concerned? Uh, Go watch that sneak peek if you want to know. Good Girls is also back this Sunday, and we're all patiently waiting just to see if Rio is alive and if he's just as lucky as Hopper. Um, So uh, those reviews are going to be up on Craveview TV right after the shows on Sunday. Um, and that's all for me this week. If you enjoy my TV musings, you can always follow me on Crave TV, um, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or Mimosa Talk, um, for, you know, just the latest TV news and all of our insightful reviews. Um, our team is so passionate about television. So just check us out at CraveYouTV.com too. And if you like this podcast, subscribe and share it with your friends. Okay. Until next time, everyone. Cheers.